Welcome to Manufacturing Tomorrow, focusing on advanced manufacturing innovations, solutions, and partnerships that exist in our region now and in the future. Welcome to Manufacturing Tomorrow. This is a new podcast series sponsored by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute and the Ohio State University. The series is going to focus on manufacturing innovation. I'm Marty Kress. I'm your host. Today we're speaking with Alex Bandar, director of the Columbus Idea Foundry, one of the hottest topics and most innovative groups in town, by the way. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Marty. You have created a huge buzz in Columbus, Ohio. Could you tell people what the focus of the foundry is and what your core mission is? Sure. So we are a workshop for the community. We have tools from 3D printing to welding, woodworking, blacksmithing, machining, and more. We teach classes on all of our tools, and once people know how to use them safely, respectfully, responsibly, they can come in and buy a membership, use our whole workshop as if it's theirs. So if you don't have a place where you can do 3D printing or welding, you do now. So you're a mini incubator for any young entrepreneur in town. You know, I think you could call us that, and that happened accidentally. Uh, Originally, we just wanted a place to pool tools, a few of my friends and I, so we can make a few things. Uh, If you then teach some classes, you become something of a a grassroots school. If you rent studio space, you become something of a grassroots arts community. If you help inventors or innovators prototype products, then you could call us some kind of uh, design-build shop or prototyping house. And if you help those people then sell those products, I guess you could call us a business incubator. That's fantastic. (laughs) If I was to walk into the foundry today, talk about the diversity of the folks that are taking advantage of your your new assets. Sure, that's one of the things that we're proudest of, is that you have a facility where you have artists and engineers, students and teachers, uh, business developers and web developers, all under one roof. And unlike a college, where you have that same cross-section of people, uh, college is a temporary period in someone's life. I try to make it an almost permanent part of my life, but uh, eventually uh, eventually left. Uh, we're a lifelong learning center, so people can stay as long as they like. Uh, when you first walk in, uh, oh, I should say we have about 200 members. Uh, membership is $35 a month. We try to keep it pretty low. And when you first come to the shop, there's a, a gallery lobby space that, that greets people where we have a number of meetups. Uh, we have an award-winning 3D printing meetup every second Wednesday of the month. That's been going on for five or six years now. Uh, once you pass through the gallery area, then you're in our project area, uh, about a dozen or so tables that people can use to assemble their projects. We've learned that most people who use our space don't need 365-day studio access. They have a few ideas each year. Uh, they settle on the design over a month or two. They source the materials in a few weeks. Then they just need uninterrupted project space to actually build their stuff. And so that's where Rather than renting to a few dozen studio members, we can service hundreds of members by giving them temporary table access. Give people an idea of the scale. When I first walked through your facility before you put anything in it, it was the only place in town where you could fly on aerial systems and drive robots around. Give people an idea of the scale, where you are today, and where you hope to be tomorrow. Sure. So we're in a 65,000-square-foot industrial warehouse, and uh, that has accidentally made us the largest makerspace in the world. Uh, it's something of a, uh, an outsized moniker. If you normalize for property prices, there are groups on the East Coast and West Coast who are doing spectacularly well. But uh, 100 years ago, the building was a shoe factory, the Godman Shoe Company. Uh, so it's got a large basement where you could see the coal-fired uh, steam boilers that actually spun pulleys, which drove shafts that operated belts throughout the whole building. So if you've seen Edison lab, Ford's factory, all belt-driven lathes and and bandsaws. 
Then the first and second floors are about 30,000 square foot each. So the first floor is very industrial with uh, concrete floors, uh, various different uh, walled-off workstations where we have our woodworking, our welding, our, our blacksmithing. And the second floor is all hardwood with floor-to-ceiling windows, which we're looking forward to turning into uh, offices, an event space for 700 people, uh, four or five classrooms, maybe even a, an industrial kitchen for people to cater our own events, uh, cook their own lunches, and even learn things like 3D printing of chocolate. Gotcha. So rumor is in the basement I may have robots in the future? You know, indeed, <laughs> uh, we uh, we sponsor a high school robot team, the uh, Cougar Robots 4251, that two years ago came in second in the world in their international competition. Last year, they came in first, beating out 2,600 other teams. And uh, we've learned that a lot of these schools need access to uh, to scrimmage, frankly. Uh, that's how you get the best game day competition experience. And sure enough, we're planning on building a robot fight club in our basement, uh, regulation size, first Tech Challenge Arena. Uh, can't wait. Now that's going to increase membership and interest. <laughs> Alex, what you do probably better than anyone at the Foundry, it's this integration of creativity, innovation, and manufacturing. Talk to us about the trends that you see that are out there right now and how this is going to play in tomorrow's markets. Sure. Uh, one thing that I'm, I'm grateful for, my background is in engineering, uh, metallurgy, material science, and I did work at uh, Scientific Forming Technologies Corporation for almost a decade doing computational metallurgy where we license software to industries like automotive, aerospace, maritime, consumer products. Uh, virtually simulating manufacturing processes. Um, and that gave me a, a, a wide range of experiences in a number of different alloys, different manufacturing uh, processes, but I never actually got my hands dirty, never actually made anything. It was all software. And my sister, while I was pursuing industrial metallurgy, she was pursuing artistic metallurgy. She's a professor of jewelry and uh, metalworking up in Vermont. She invited me one year to give a guest lecture to her art students, and uh, I thought this would be fun and easy, a uh, new PhD, hard scientist. <laughs> I teach these artists something practical. Not only uh, did I embarrass myself hugely, I couldn't teach anything practical. Uh, they were all better welders, blacksmiths, and machinists than I. So that deeply inspired me to become better at making things with my hands and uh, really did produce this, uh, this place where both artists and technicians work together. Uh, as far as the trends, we've seen, for example, a company called Little Alouette. That's Joe and Amy Sharp. They make little wooden toys. And originally, uh, Joe would design a few uh, little wooden teethers, all locally sourced Ohio maple, natural oils. They gave some to their kids, to their friends. Once they started marketing on Etsy, which is an international website, consider it uh, like the uh, eBay or Amazon for, for handcraft goods, they started getting more orders than they could make by hand. Orders from South Korea, New Zealand, Japan. Uh, so we actually bought a CNC, a computer numerical control router table, so we could manufacture their parts for them. I should say micro-manufacture. You can argue on the, the numbers, but uh, over the last five or six years, we've made thousands and thousands of these parts for them. And in fact, it was a business that really sustained them through the recession. Uh, so we see a mom-and-pop shop that was exporting to Asia uh, due to the resources that we brought to bear under the, the roof of the Columbus Idea Foundry. We've also seen uh, my friend Todd Perkins build an electric motorcycle uh, entirely designed by himself, built uh, by himself, and demonstrated at COSI, at the Science Center, during our Maker Fair. We, uh, <laughs> it, you may be familiar with the 
the rather quirky potato salad Kickstarter that uh, that yes. has gripped Columbus and even national headlines in the last few months. That was started by Zach Brown as something of a joke. Uh, we won't go too much into that Kickstarter, <laughs> but he was our first successful up and out at the Columbus Idea Foundry. He started, he's a very solid technologist and started a, a software company called Base2IO at the Foundry. And a couple years after working there, uh, he and his business partner moved out and uh, rent their own space and, and still have a successful software company. So you really see the gamut from software to industrial design to hardware to toys and products and more. And thanks to the globally flat marketplace that, that we see ourselves in now, if you have a good idea and an impassioned video, uh, you, can, you can get that idea out there. And rather than asking for a large chunk of change from one VC or one lender or begging, borrowing, and stealing from your family and friends, you can ask for a little bit of money from a lot of people. And that's the crowdfunding phenomenon. And by virtue of the, the ability to teach oneself almost anything you'd like on YouTube, on Udacity or Coursera, these massive open online courses, you can learn nearly anything. Uh, open source software means you can design nearly anything. These digital prototyping resources, 3D printers, laser cutters, computer-controlled mills, mean that you can prototype things without having to apprentice for years and years, which was the, the way back in the day. So all of that, coupled with the ability to put some, some money in that project through crowdfunding, means that really anyone can be a designer or, uh, or fabricator. And I like to say now that I think the... Uh, consumers are the designers now. People are making what they want to buy, and I expect that trend to grow. Alex, one of the things we're focusing on with the Manufacturing Tomorrow show is the relationship of different critical programs and activities in the community to manufacturing itself. Could you talk about how the foundry directly links to manufacturing? Sure. I think the, the best way that we link to manufacturing is by helping people first take their idea and prototype it. And of course, this is the initial step before going to market and teaching people not just how to prototype a product, but then once they're ready to manufacture it, they're going to make it in a completely different way. They're not going to 3D print a million units. And we often, uh, we like to say that if you want to make three parts or three million parts, it's pretty easy. If, if you want to make the 3,000 to 30,000 units, that's, that's a little challenging. And what we uh, strive to do is to network folks with different levels or tiered groups that can produce a few hundred parts, a few thousand parts. Sometimes we can do that. If you need a few tens of thousands of parts, we'll steward you through the process and tell you exactly what language they need to hear in order to understand that you're a serious person who's looking to take their product to market and, uh, and maybe test a few hundred or a few thousand units through retailers, distributors, VC, lenders, etc. And then if that's successful, then we'll link you to, uh, to local or, or more remote manufacturing centers that can actually take that more to market. But the most successful Kickstarter project to date yet is called the Coolest Cooler. It's a, uh, it's a cooler uh, that you put sodas and beer in. Uh, it's got Bluetooth-connected speakers, interior LEDs. I think it raised $12 million on Kickstarter. And actually, the design firm that helped execute it is right here in town. They're called Trident Design. So we do have folks that we can network to once they graduate outside of our walls, as it were, past uh, prototyping and really ready to take something nationally or globally. So rather than thinking of the maker movement as a substitute for manufacturing, it's almost like a feeder system where I develop the prototype. I can do small batch, but when I hit the market, 
at a larger scale, I'm going to rely upon other existing assets and capabilities? I think that's exactly right. And what we can do, <laughs> you know, my background is actually, I uh, uh, grew up in a family restaurant, family business. And uh, I started the shop partly to have a machine shop with a maitre d', someone who can walk you through the whole process, demystify design and fabrication, and then when you're ready to go to market, can point you to people that we've already worked with that are um, supportive and enthusiastic and sympathetic to the culture of people who may not have started out as designers or manufacturers, but are ready to take something successful uh, beyond our walls. Based on my reading, some of the advantages of when you go to the uh the, the pros as such, the people in the business for a while, they actually can improve your design, improve its manufacturing, and therefore increase your profit margins. So it sounds like uh, it's a great collaboration as well for you know, the makers and the existing manufacturers in the state. Oh, absolutely. Talk about the externalities, the different groups and organizations in the region that help make this work. That's, that's a great question. Um, so we did bootstrap this as a grassroots organization, started in a small little garage next to an arts community, uh, rented that about six years ago. And since then, the original intent was to be the center of a ring of schools that themselves didn't have wood shop, machine shop, metal shop, or the, the modern fab lab, laser cutter, 3D printer. Uh, so I reached out to schools and tried to uh, demonstrate uh, what I thought was a way we could teach students hands-on experience in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Or if you add arts to that, you call it STEAM. Uh, but about five years ago, that was premature. Our facility wasn't quite ready for that. The, the quote-unquote maker movement wasn't really on the radar of these schools. So that fizzled, but the small business, the creative class, the technology folks, they raised their hands. And they said, we're interested in that. Uh, a communal place where people can build things, but more importantly, can cross-pollinate between the artists, the techies, the web developers, the business developers, etc. So did that on our own for two, three, four years, and then started getting uh, some attention from OSU's Technology Commercialization Office, for example, which tries to help monetize IP developed uh, on OSU's campus. They said, we love what you're doing. We'd like to send you some people who need prototypes. Uh, Tech Columbus also was interested, starting inviting us to their innovation summit, where we brought our uh, electric car, electric motorcycle, 3D printers and such. Uh, COSI had asked us to participate in a number of events, and in fact, we uh, co-present our Maker Fair. So that's uh, a celebration of DIY arts and tech once a year. And then the Franklinton Development Association, which is a community development corporation charged with improving the neighborhood of Franklinton, they said, we like what you're doing over there. We'd like you to come to Franklinton and help bring your brand of education, technology, creativity, and enterprise to this developing neighborhood. And once they invited us, the city got on board, a number of other groups, uh, the Columbus Foundation, thankfully, uh, provided us a, a large grant and uh, an outside organization called Art Place America gave us the, the lion's share, a $350,000 grant to help build out our space. And that has really now put us on the map uh, where Make Magazine uh, is interested in, in our narrative uh, and, in fact, in the broader narrative of revitalization of manufacturing in the industrial Midwest. They might say that culturally, the coasts are kind of locked up in this. Uh, you've got the East Coast, uh, Boston, New York corridor. You've got Silicon Valley on the West Coast. But Make said that the next exciting narrative is the revitalization of, of that, uh, the heart of the forge that really did build the infrastructure of this nation, maybe rusted and weeded over the last 25 or 50 years. But by virtue of the fact that 
Uh, we've been winning international competitions with the population of technologists and creatives and entrepreneurs here in central Ohio. It means that that talent is still here, ready to just um, uh, flare up once we add a little bit of fuel to the fire. Yeah, it's like a lot of things in life. Give me the opportunity, give me the tool, and I can do creative things. I, I give a lot of credit when I talk about makerspace and the whole uh, movement to Chris Anderson at Wired Magazine, Absolutely. who not only wrote about it for years, now he started 3D Robotics, which is the other trend line. It's just, uh, it's ubiquitous. And you see this revolution in thought occurring everywhere. Um, when, when you talk about the importance of partnerships and collaborations, what advice would you give someone else that wanted to, to get into this space and how to take it even to the next level in terms of its applicability? That's, that's a great question and one which we consult on regularly. So I'd, I'd say that this culture started organically with folks who just wanted to learn a little bit of soldering, a little circuitry, a little uh, 3D printing. And that's typically where most of these uh, maker spaces or hacker spaces stay. It's, it's uh, uh, a communal group of folks who want to play and, and just explore. But if you do engage with the business community, with the uh, the crowdfunding and Kickstarter community, then you can be a bit of a business incubator. And that's where we see ourselves. And the fact that it is, as you say, so ubiquitous demonstrates that there is this driving energy uh, for people to make things again. And uh, I, I gave a TEDx talk a few years ago about how people love making things. You can look at handprints on caves from thousands of years ago to... Uh, as you say, people building um, balloons that can take cameras into orbit now, practically, uh, <laughs> at least up in the upper atmosphere. Yes. And when we try to tell people how to start their own space, I, I encourage them not to do what I did, which was to rent a workshop, open the doors, and wait for people to come rushing in. Because for about two years, it was me in the wind. And uh, now instead, what we recommend is... If you're interested in starting uh, this kind of community, engage with folks on, on Facebook, on Craigslist, at arts events, at, at tech events, and start gathering in coffee shops in people's living rooms, uh, at field trips, at, at manufacturing centers, and get buzz over six months or a year or 18 months. And then when you have a critical mass of people who say, yes, I'll be willing to give you 50 bucks a month for uh, uh, however long it takes, then you know you've got a budget, then you can shop around for a space, you can shop around for tools, and, and you know where the center of gravity of your particular creative maker group is, whether it's in 3D printing, whether it's in woodworking. And that way, you really start out of the gate a lot faster than um, <laughs> than the way we did it. <laughs> than the way you did it. I can remember the After Hour Club where you had just bought your first 3D printer that you used to make a 3D printer. <laughs> and I thought, this guy's going to do really well. If you can <laughs> multiply the fish and the loaves, there's a great future for you. Uh, talk about, you know, again, in terms of the community, very established on the East and West Coast. We're kind of the, the new kids on the block. Are we attracting that next generation of entrepreneurs? Are the universities embracing this thought process and revolution? And you know, are the are the MBAs now writing business case uh, and business plans ar around 3D and makerspace? You know, uh, again, really great questions. And um, I'd say I'd say yes. I, I know that Columbus is the uh, I think the only growing city in Ohio in population, and it's it's been. Um, uh, economically developing, uh, you know, quite well in the last uh, decade or two, 
And there is, in fact, not a, a job shortage, but a, an education training shortage. I hear there are tens of thousands of jobs in, in machining and CNC that, that need to be filled that aren't. And this is why Mayor Coleman of Columbus is trying to, to fight a brain drain. Uh, people are attracted to OSU in particular, come from all around the world, get their degree, and then maybe they go out of Columbus again. So if we can find a way to foster entrepreneurs by making it easier, lowering the barrier to entry for designing prototypes, for cheap studio access, for networking with uh, uh, for capital, then that will help to do that. Uh, we've also heard, if you go to the Columbus Metropolitan Club, uh, a weekly luncheon meeting of a number of movers and shakers in Columbus, they'll cite, uh, I know there was an company from Israel who came to Columbus because they called Columbus the Silicon Valley of retail, uh, of marketing and of getting your ideas out there. And if one thing we've learned at the shop uh, that we can teach other folks is with this exciting culture of the maker movement, it's increasingly easy to make something. It's still hard to make a buck making something. And that the marketing and the execution are almost uh, almost more important than the product or service itself. And that's where I think Columbus has this uh, retail hub, distribution hub, and uh, and therefore has this huge value add for anyone who wants to start their business and, and really succeed. It's an, it's an amazing world. I referenced a little earlier today the fact that we were using 3D printers in Iraq and Afghanistan. Most people weren't aware of that, but that was a way to reduce your logistics costs accelerate the deployment of the key parts to the troops in the field. So again, I think it's at the cusp as to what it's going to be, mm -hmm. and the fact is it's becoming readily uh, embraced. Talk about the role of, of America Makes, which is the National Manufacturing Initiative up in Youngstown. Is that a further catalyst for your activities? Oh, you know, right now, uh, certainly in terms of dovetailing with the culture and, and getting the word out, absolutely. Uh, I haven't visited out there yet, but many people who do come to visit us from uh, all around the country often say they're on their way to NAMI, to the National <laughs> Added Manufacturing uh, Institute. And at, at least that is helping to to bring awareness. We're we're still delighted whenever we have people come through our shop, give them a tour. They see a 3D printer and they say, "Oh, that's what that looks like." We've heard a lot about it, uh, never never seen one. And we liken this very much to the the same culture of the computer revolution in the 70s and 80s, where you have these literally wooden computers that people are marveling, and maybe all they can do is add or or uh, bounce a tennis ball across the screen. So something that an outsider might not think is very exciting, but they see, the, the insiders see the potential. And that is very similar to what we have now. People are printing little trinkets, uh, keychain fobs, or things like that on 3D printers. Other folks, though, are making actual replacement prosthetic hands for uh, for young kids who, uh, who need them, and are thus empowered in a way that they haven't been before. And so we certainly see this. As, uh, as prices are coming down, as their capacities are improving, and as the, the bottlenecks to designing the files are getting easier and easier, we see uh, you know, talented 10-year-olds designing products for these machines. It's, and that's part of the, uh, the unique thing. It is a tool that is easily used, and when you put it in the hands of people, so if you draw that analogy back to the computer, uh, you look now in the role of the application, You've got a technology platform, but the applications enhance its usefulness. I see the same kind of revolution of thought in, in this world. As someone who was trained on a slide roll, which ended most people's uh, desire to go in anything technical, um, it's really an amazing integration. And as I look 
the design features are as important as the manufacturing, and that's the other part of your revolution. You know, um, completely agree. And uh, one of the things that I like to point out when people are trying to design these parts for 3D printers, it used to be that you had to be a really talented drad, uh, draftsman or CAD operator. Now there are virtual sculpting softwares where you see a ball of clay on the computer, wherever you drag the mouse, it either removes material or adds material. So again, a talented 10-year-old with a good eye and some patience can craft the digital files that these 3D printers or laser cutters or CNC machines can make. And one of the things that I'd like to do a little more research on is to understand, let's say 10 or 20 years ago, who was the population of designers and engineers as a, as a function of the planet's workforce population? Is it, is it 1%, is it 2%, is it 0.5%? And those folks were doing things in corporate boardrooms, in university labs, but now this access uh, where open online education, availability of the internet, open source software. Now artists are fabricators. Uh, you know, um, students and housewives, uh, fabricators. It, it's a much, much broader access to people who may never have considered themselves uh, technologists, makers, or creatives. Uh, they all are now. It's, a, it's an amazing world. I can tell you have a sister who's a teacher because you excel at the art of getting people's attention and retaining it. So would you like to talk about some of the events you have on your schedule. You mentioned one that get people down there, and once you get them down there, you never let them go, right? They're a, they're a supporter for life, such as a highball Halloween. Well, highball <laughs> Halloween is one of the great fashion shows of Columbus, and in fact, we did build uh, about a dozen or so larger-than-life 12-foot-tall puppets that uh, individual operators wear, and uh, that's a whole lot of fun. This is where I've been endlessly delighted to learn what things people are interested in seeing us build for them or what members come and make for themselves. Uh, our Maker Fair has had everything from uh, hydroponics to sumo battling robots to uh, power tool drag race, actually, where we repurpose old power tools and, and race them down a wooden track. This year, we're going to have a quadrocopter arena combat <laughs> where you tie a three-foot length of um, crash paper behind a, a small quadrocopter and fly around in, uh, in a duel with another quadrocopter in an arena and the person who has the most amount of paper left wins. Uh, so these are a lot of the fun things we do. And we've learned that many people have heard of the maker movement. Many people here in central Ohio have heard of the Columbus Idea Foundry, uh, but never been. So we need more free events. Uh, we actually have a, a presentation coming up in a couple of weeks on space elevators, actually. So we'd love to invite you. I know you've oh, got I'd a, love a, to come down. Uh, <laughs> a background in that. Uh, so, yeah, we're always looking for creative ways uh, to bring new folks in, especially people who aren't necessarily attracted to the 3D printers or the laser cutting or the tech aspects. We have a fashion group now called the Alternative Fashion Mob that rents on our second floor. They just got a grant to buy a bunch of sewing machines and teach people how to sew. Uh, we'd also like to get more into the, the foodie space. So think 3D printing of chocolate. I think Hershey's is actually coming out with a 3D chocolate printer uh, or molecular gastronomy. You know, baking cake, uh, freezing the batter with liquid nitrogen and then drilling into it uh, to put brandy <laughs> jelly and create these structures that you couldn't otherwise and inspire uh, a wide spectrum of people into, into making things. As a parting thought, what is the one thing that you'd like listeners to know about the uh, Idea Foundry that would probably most surprise them? Hmm. Uh, it, it might actually be um, how open the entire community is. It, it's, it's one thing that surprised me, frankly. I, I would think that if someone had an idea, they'd be quite protective of it. They'd want to keep it close to their vest, as has been the way that people have uh, monetized their IP over the last few years. Um, 
But in fact, <laughs> I regularly have to prod our members into uh, asking people, let's put a class together. Don't, don't just tell people for free. I'm glad you're sharing it. It's a very pay-it-forward community, very open and friendly. Uh, and uh, of course, we have to keep the lights on. So I try to find some way to have a few cost-effective classes. But it, it's really the, uh, uh, the enthusiasm, friendliness, and passion of our community, which is a, a greater value than the collection of the tools. Absolutely. Alex, we can't thank you enough for uh, being on Manufacturing Tomorrow. And for listeners that are in the Columbus region, uh, the Idea Foundry is located near Kozai, and it's well worth a trip if you're visiting the uh, Science Center. Alex, thanks again. My great pleasure. Thank you so much, Marty.